0: Tonight, would you open up to the book of Exodus as we continue our journey through the Exodus. And keep in mind, as we're studying this, as we're taking a look at at the way God directed the children of Israel after bringing them or setting them free from a time of bondage, keep in mind every single thing that happens throughout that period of time, there was a purpose to it. God was teaching the children of Israel. He was developing within them the character that they were going to need to face the greatest obstacle that was before them when they came to the border in Kadesh Barnea and they looked into the promised land. And they had on one hand the promises of God that I'll give you every place you set your foot. And on the other hand they had what they could see with their eyes as an impossible task. They looked in there. They Remember, they're going to send out spies. They're going to look around. They're going to see giants. They're going to see that the land is a good land. They're going to see that the land is something that they would desire. <clears throat> but after seeing it with their eyes and not able to see it through the eyes of faith, after all that the Lord's going to take them through, they're going to miss out on the blessing. So many times in our lives, we can go through life and we can face the obstacles we face and and we can think that all those things are just stuff. It's just stuff happening. It's just random occurrences, you know, that happen in this world. And and we forget to look at those things through the eyes of the Lord. We forget to allow those things to prepare our hearts for the challenges that we're going to face so that when we face the challenge... When we stand, you and I, at our Kedish Barnea, when we stand there at the place where God's directing us to go, don't we want to have eyes that say, I trust the Lord and I'll step forward. I want to step across. I want to cross that Jordan and I want to enter into the victorious Christian life. That's where God wants to direct us. So when we look at the Exodus, the story of the Exodus, keep in mind all of it. Every plague, every trial, every city that they're going to stop in along the way and on their journey is a place of preparation where God is preparing their hearts for what is yet to face Him around the bend. So when we look, let's have those eyes to see. And tonight, as we look, we're going to begin in chapter 7. And we want to just back up one verse, chapter 6, verse 30, Moses says to the Lord, But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? Even in Moses we can see God working in his heart. Remember, in chapter 6, Moses had gone to the Lord, and he had said, Let my people go. The Lord wants his people to go and to be able to serve and to be able to worship him. And, And not only did Pharaoh say no, what did he do? He made their lives more difficult. And all the children of Israel were looking at Moses like, way to go. I thought you were delivering us. You just made life rougher. And Moses, he goes before the Lord and he basically he's saying, God, are you sure I'm the guy? God, are you sure this is what you've called me to do? And he finishes there in chapter 6 by saying, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. I'm unclean. You, you'll remember... In your Bible studies, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, where Isaiah sees the Lord face to face, and he says the exact same thing to the Lord. I'm a man of, of uncircumcised lip. I, I dwell amongst the people that are unclean. And what did God do? He sent his angel to go to the altar and take a coal from the altar around the throne of God and to go over to Isaiah and touch his lips and say, Now, you are made clean. And then God said... I have all this work to do, this word that I want to give to my people. Who shall we send? Who will go for us? You remember what Isaiah said? Here am I, send me. Here am I. I want to move forward. And so it's coming to that place. Moses is coming to that place as well that he needs to experience the grace of God that he needs to realize that it never depended on, on Moses' lips. It never depended on Moses' skill. It never depended on his ability to, to be the diplomat with Pharaoh. It all depended on the God, God. It was all God. It was all God's work from the very beginning. And when we come to that place and we realize, you know, this is God's work. Calvary Chapel Buell, is God's work. The soup kitchen, the community kitchen, it's God's work. God has called us to be faithful in those things. We just need to show up. And God's going to do the work. God's going to accomplish those things. And so you'll see that the Lord says to Moses in chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. So you shall speak. All that I command you and Aaron your brother will tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt but Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my armies and my people the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring the children of Israel out from among them. You know, a lot of people, when they consider this scripture as they read it, and again, uh, the book of Exodus has already touched on this concept where God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We have a problem with that sometimes, don't we? I mean... Does God violate man's free will? Does does God violate man's ability to choose? Does God, who will have mercy on whom He will have mercy, and compassion on whom He will have compassion, does God create people that are just lost and they're going to hell, and there's no chance? There's no opportunity. Our Calvinistic brothers, as they look at things like this, this is, One of the places where they'll develop the concept in Calvinism that that is what God does. And God is God. That's why he gets the right to do that. Well, I'm not going to argue with that. God is God, not me. But as I look at the Scriptures, the God that I see and and what I see the Scriptures laying out for us is something completely different. In fact, as we look at the the different areas, the different Scriptures, we're going to see God harden Pharaoh's heart. We're going to see Pharaoh harden his heart. We're going to see nobody mentioned, but but just the fact that a hardening has taken place. And when we get down into it and we study, this is what we discover. When we look at the verses that speak of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, it is a Hebrew idiom that is being used, which means that God is giving Pharaoh the opportunity... And Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. Now, if God had never given Pharaoh the opportunity, perhaps Pharaoh never hardens his heart. So God is the instigator. God is the one that causes the situation to take place. But the choice is being made by Pharaoh. So when God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, more literally it would be, I will give the opportunity for Pharaoh's heart To be hardened. I wanted to share something with you from Dr. David Miller. He writes this In the case of Pharaoh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart in the sense that God provided the circumstances and the occasion for Pharaoh to be forced to make a decision. God sent Moses to the place to bring his demands before Pharaoh. Moses merely announced God's instruction. God even accompanied his word with miracles to to confirm the divine origin of the message. Pharaoh made up his own mind to resist God's demands. Of his own accord, he stubbornly refused to comply. Of course, God provided the occasion for Pharaoh to demonstrate his unyielding attitude. If God had not sent Moses, Pharaoh would not have been faced with a dilemma of whether to release the Israelites. So God was certainly the instigator and the initiator, but He is not the author of Pharaoh's defiance. The author of Pharaoh's defiance was Pharaoh. You remember when Moses first came to Pharaoh, he says, just let the children of Israel go three days' journey into the wilderness to worship God. And Pharaoh was unwilling not only was he unwilling but what did he say who is the lord that i should obey him well the next several chapters god's going to be introducing himself to pharaoh and what the lord is saying is because of pharaoh's heart because of pharaoh's rebellion and disobedience toward him god is going to have an opportunity to show the egyptians that he is the lord god most high and that they'll have an opportunity to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is God who rules on high over the people. It's interesting because if you turn with me to the book of Romans. In the book of Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 24, you can see the Lord talking about very similar circumstances only in our world. It says in chapter 1 verse 24, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worshiped the Creator, and worship and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Same kind of concept that God is speaking of here as what we see going on with Pharaoh. The opportunity is presented to receive the truth. But remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, men don't reject the truth of God's Word because they don't understand it. Men reject the truth of God's Word because they love the dark. Their deeds are evil. They want to stay in the dark. They're making a choice. And the Scripture lays out for us, when that choice is made, there comes a time when God confirms your choice. We reject, we reject, we don't know where that point is of that last rejection when the Lord turns us over to our decision and to the consequences that that same decision brings. So that's what we're going to see going on in the life of Pharaoh as we continue through chapter 7. Pharaoh, his resolve is being stiffened. Now, the Lord said in verse 5, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians will know. The Egyptians will experience. They're not just going to hear. They're going to get a chance to see, aren't they? And they're going to get a chance to see what God says would take place, taking place. And when God is sought and Moses prays, God removes those same plagues. They're going to have an opportunity to recognize and realize that when the children of Israel leave, the Bible tells us a mixed multitude goes with them. And so we're going to see God working and moving, God shaping, God showing himself to the people, making himself real throughout them. So verse 6, And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. What were they called to do? Were they called to change Pharaoh's mind? Were they called to make sure Pharaoh made the right decision? Were they called to save Pharaoh? Or were they called to speak? Speak all the words that I give you to speak. You know, Ezekiel would say the same as the Lord would lay upon Ezekiel's heart. He would say, Ezekiel, I've called you to be a watchman on the wall. I've called you to stand stand on the wall and sound the alarm. If the enemy comes and no one sounds the alarm, then their blood is on your hands. But if you sound the alarm and no one heeds, their blood is on their own hands. What God was sharing with Ezekiel is true. We are simply called to share the truth. And man will either accept or reject that truth based on whether or not he loves the darkness. When Jesus talks about that, folks, he used the word agape. When man has that self-sacrificial love for the dark, he's going to reject the truth. It's not about an argument. It's not about how can there be evil in the world it's not about that it's about i want to stay in the darkness they're called to speak and what did it say the scriptures say that moses and aaron did so they did so god's word calls for each of us to be a martus he calls for us to be his witnesses and that word martus is a it's a the word from which we get the word martyr didn't god call for us to be a living sacrifice let me tell you something it is easier i believe to die for christ than it is to live for him and when you come to that point where you realize like paul what did he say for me to live is christ to die is gain between the two, I, I don't know which one I'd rather have. To be with Christ is much better. Yet it is needful for me to be with you. And so having that same concept within us, we're not called to say, we're not called to know every argument. We're not called to be able to change a man's mind based on our ability to present the gospel in, a, in a, some kind of special way. We're just called to share the truth about what God has done in our lives. To not be ashamed. To not be afraid. Wasn't Moses afraid? He was. I'm a man of uncircumcised. How many times have we said the same thing ourselves? How many times have we faced an opportunity to to share, but fear chokes out the word? And, And we just step back. Well, folks, the good news is, Moses was just like us. A man just like we are. And he came to that same place, but he learned to trust in God's ability and to submit to his sovereignty and let God do the work. As soon as Moses realized it's not me, you mean it doesn't depend on me? Then we're going to see Moses become more and more comfortable with doing that work that God's called him to do. Well, let's check it out. We go on. It says, Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. The beginning of Moses' ministry. I mean, really, 80 years old. Oh, the 80 years were preparation, weren't they? Sure. Is it ever too late to be able to serve God? Well, before we, as we answer that in the negative, no, it's never too late. Is it ever too early? Well, no, I can show you God calling kings at eight years old. Eight years old, serving the Lord as king. Josiah, eight years old. Solomon, I believe, 12 years old. We go through the scriptures and we see when it's all about when God calls, isn't it? When God calls and says, hey, it's your time. He would tell Jeremiah not to... to, be afraid of their faces again jeremiah called at a young age what about daniel hananiah azariah mishael otherwise known as shadrach meshach and abednego weren't they hebrew use when god used them you see it's all about god's timing not ours and when god calls and when god places it on our heart and gives us an opportunity then we want to answer that opportunity and move forward In a a few weeks, hopefully, we're going to read about Caleb. Caleb. Remember, Caleb and Joshua are the two good spies that get sent in to the promised land. They come back with a positive report. Caleb. I always liked Caleb. I always liked the name. As soon as I heard Caleb meant mad dog, I wanted to name one of my kids Caleb. (laughs) Kathy didn't go for it. Now, it didn't change the fact that they were mad dogs anyway. Might as well give them the name. But nonetheless... I digress. Uh, (laughs) Caleb, when he was 85 years old, he's going to go to Joshua. And he can say, Joshua, you know, I feel as young today as when I was 40. And over there on that mountain, right over there, the giants have that mountain. And God said he'll give us any place we put our foot. I want you, Joshua, give me that mountain and I'm going to go get rid of the giants. Joshua gave it to him and Caleb went over and, and he defeated the giants. He defeated the Anakim on the mountain at 85 years old wasn't about his age it was about his faith that god would fulfill the promises that god had given and so we see these young men going out to serve the lord and the lord spoke to moses and aaron saying when pharaoh speaks to you saying show a miracle for yourselves then you shall say to aaron take your rod and cast it before pharaoh and let it become a serpent So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh, he called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, and they also did in like manner with their enchantments. So every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Well, here they come in, and they throw that rod down, and it becomes a serpent. And we see he calls the magicians. Now, the New Testament tells us who they are, doesn't it? The New Testament tells us their names. Janus and Jambres are the the magicians the wise men that were there with Pharaoh, and they come out and they also cast down their rods and their rods turn into serpents. I want you to consider something. Did they make the situation better? Because that would have been something that I would have said, wow, that's some power. For example, I don't. how many like snakes? You got a lot of snake fans? At least one. So... This probably won't, this illustration won't work so well for you. But anyway, we got this snake underground, and these two servants of the enemy, they make more snakes. Now, except for the snake lovers, that's not necessarily a good thing. More snakes. Make the other snake go away. They didn't have the power to make the other snake go away, did they? They could only make the situation worse. What is it that Satan has come to do? To lie, kill, steal, and destroy, right? Well, all those things don't make a situation better, do they? He only has the ability to make the situation worse. And so the Lord tells us what happens. How, does it, how is it that God gains control of the moment? Well, Aaron's rod eats up the other guy's rods. They spend the rest of their day without a walking stick. Their sticks are gone. Aaron's rod ate it up. Aaron picks up his his rod and Pharaoh hardens his heart against the Lord. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with a rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and the rivers and the ponds and the pools of water that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so. Now, the Lord declared earlier to Moses that all of these things he was going to do, he was going to do to judge the gods of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had over 3,000 deities, 3,000 different deities that they worshipped, all kinds of different gods. We'll talk about them as we go through the plagues. But we're going to see God as he takes aim at these deities to show them truth. Hey, listen. If this God of the Nile was really an all-powerful God of the Nile, then I wouldn't be able to turn him into blood. In fact, when we take a look at the work that's done in the, in the Nile, there are several gods that were associated with the Nile. The God Kanuhum, guardian of the Nile. He was the, the God who had the ram's head. Then you had Hopi, the spirit of the Nile. Osiris, which was really their god of life, who is said that the Nile River was his bloodstream. Osiris is bleeding. Toret, the hippo goddess of the Nile, and Nu, the god of life of the Nile. And all of these gods, in essence, Moses is saying, Pharaoh's not hearing, folks. Pharaoh's already made his choice. Pharaoh's in in denial, he's gone as hard the other direction. And so God is showing the Egyptians, listen, all of these gods that you worship, that you believe are taking care of you, it's just lies. It's just lies. So Moses and Aaron hear the word of the Lord. They go out, they stretch out that staff. So he lifted up the rod, struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants And all the water in the river was turned to blood. And the fish that were in the river died. The river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. Look at verse 22. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantment. Way to go, guys. So basically what you're telling me is somewhere Pharaoh found water and rather than drinking it, they turned it to blood. Right on. That's the kind of wise men I want around me. <laughs> I, it's guys who can make the situation worse. Doesn't that always make us feel better? Have you ever had those friends where you're like, man, having a bad day, and maybe you got a, a ticket and and you show up and you see your friends, oh man, I got I got pulled over today. and Sometimes we have those friends that can just take the way you're feeling bad and make it worse, right? Oh, yeah, I I figure you deserve a ticket the way you drive. (laughs) Thanks, brother. Turn that water to blood. (laughs) So Janice and Jambries they they take a bad situation and make it worse. Isn't that what the devil does? It's what the devil does. What What does the Lord do? He, he works good from it all, doesn't he? What's Romans 8.28 tell us? All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. That God will use the tragedies in our life and work them around and bring good. What does Satan do? He just lets it all rot. He's a destroyer. He's a thief. He's a liar. And we just see that action in him right here as we study the word, as we see the work that they're doing and how they're moving forward. And so, the Lord comes. The water is turned to blood. Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed as the Lord had said. Again, Pharaoh's choice is made. God's just going to turn him over. He's going to turn him over to what has already taken place within him. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved. Pharaoh didn't care. All the people of Egypt have blood to drink. Pharaoh didn't care. As long as his magicians could turn water to blood, then your God's not greater. Your God's not more powerful. I don't care. I don't care. I don't want to hear. I don't want to listen. I don't want to see. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. And the Lord God said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Frogs, the god in Egyptian, is Hecht. Hecht was the god of fertility, and he was also the god of the midwives. Any woman who was given birth would have a little idol of Hecht around in Egypt that it would protect the woman who was giving birth, that she would survive the process. And so frogs in Egypt were holy. Kind of like India you know, India where a cow really is holy. And that the people in India, no kidding, people in India are starving, and one of the reasons they're starving is because they won't kill the rats that are eating the grain. Why won't they kill the rats that are eating the grain? Because they believe in reincarnation, and some of those rats could be relatives, so you can't kill a rat. And so the rats eat up the grain, the people have a shortage of food, and people are starving. Well, the same situation is here in in Egypt. Hey, frogs were holy. Frogs were not on the menu. Literally, if you killed a frog, if you killed a frog, it was a death penalty in Egypt. I'd have been in some serious trouble when I was a kid. As soon as somebody told me that I could catch bass... With frogs? Man, I was as excited as I could be. Really? So I went out. I wanted to catch a big bass. So I went out and caught me a big old frog. Now, putting the big old frog on the hook was a little tricky. But I I just slipped that hook, you know, through his lip. And put him out in the pond. And waited... For the bass to eat the frog and win the world championship of the biggest bass ever caught. That didn't work. (laughs) Apparently, bass don't eat frogs that are as big as they are. (laughs) So, if you try to fish with frogs, there's probably a better way to do it. But I didn't know. So, the frog ended up okay. You know, I got tired of sitting there. And so, I reeled him in and he was still kicking when I let him loose. So... Hopefully the frog made it. If I was in Egypt, I'd have been in trouble though. So here's what's going to happen. The Lord says, I'll smite you with frogs. Well, let's look. Verse 3. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house and in your bedroom and on your bed and in your houses and in the houses of your servants and on the people and in your ovens and in your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Say to Aaron... Stretch out your hand with a rod over the streams and rivers and ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. And the magicians did so with their enchantments. At some point, do they not get the joke that's going on? Seriously, we don't have enough frogs, you made more. If you ever get a chance... See if I can remember where that, where that island was. We were stationed in the, in the Marine Corps. Cannot remember. It'll come to me in a minute. But there's this island, uh, Guam, Guam, where Marines would be stationed. And I had some friends that went to Guam. Anybody ever been there? Guam has geckos. Okay. So it's very similar to this plague of the frogs. My buddy said there's no way to get rid of the geckos or lizards. They crawl on your wall. They get in your dresser drawers. You get up in the morning, take a shower, go to pull out some underwear, and there's a gecko sitting in the drawer just looking at you. You know the guy from Geico? <laughs> right there. Right there in the drawer. He's sitting there looking at you. They're, they're in your fridge. You open up your oven, and they're in the oven. they were in every place. Well, this is what the Lord is saying is going to take place with the frogs. Only... In Guam, if you wanted to pick up a, a gecko and throw it out, it was no big deal. In Egypt, it was capital punishment for killing a frog. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going over to your bed and just pulling back the covers? I'm tired, you know. And it's just got frogs all over it. Could you just crawl in and sleep with them? Frogs jumping around you. All it takes is something to touch me at night and my imagination to say it was a bug. And that's it. If that happens to me, all I can feel is bugs crawling all over me, even if they're not there. I can't imagine. When we were in North Carolina, the people told us, don't worry about the roaches. And <laughs> we lived, We didn't know it at the time, but we lived on a roach nest in a... In a mobile home in North Carolina. And, the, and my oldest son was just born. We were actually afraid that they were going to carry him away. Because the roaches are huge. I'm not lying to you. They're big. Like a small poodle. <laughs> big roaches. And so the, I, would, I was all freaking out about it. And the local, the local people would tell me, don't worry about it in that nice little southern drawl that they have. you know, Don't worry about it. They stay out of your bed. Oh, well, just so you know, that's a lie. I went, I, just like this, I come home, tired, grab the sheets, f- pull it back, and there's a big old poodle-like roach sitting right in the middle of the bed. Oh, That's it, I'm sleeping in the car. I don't want to have nothing to do with that. You know, these people, same thing, only now, they're dealing with frogs. Frogs everywhere, fogs all over the place. So the magicians make it worse. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. And look at this. And he said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh doesn't seek the Lord. He seeks Moses. And that's what God said would happen, right? You will be like God to him. He's going to come to you, Moses. Pharaoh doesn't want the Lord. He doesn't want a relationship with God. He's still trying to manipulate the situation. He goes to Moses and says, Make it go away. So Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants and your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river Oni. So Pharaoh answered, Tomorrow, let it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Listen, Moses is saying, Hey, okay, I'll pray for you. When do you want them to be gone? Tomorrow, really? What, one more day with the frogs? One more night sleeping with the frogs? Why not right now? Have you ever met people that are are caught up in stuff? I mean, I've known guys battling and battling with drug addiction or alcoholism, and the same thing. They'd come to me, oh Jackie, I need help. I need to get into a. I need to get into a rehab center. Can you help me? And yeah, we can get you. I'd make a couple phone calls. Yeah, I got a bed for you at U Turn for Christ. I can. I can get you in right now. Let's go. Well, not right now. Well, not right now. Why not? One more day in the darkness. Why not right now? But see, Pharaoh's tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Get rid of frogs tomorrow. So Moses is going to pray. And the frogs shall depart from you, in verse 11, from your houses, from your servants, from your people, and they will remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs, which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. So they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank now that's probably putting it mildly you reckon so many frogs frogs everywhere frogs in the oven frogs in the bed frogs in the drawer they all die have you ever experienced like having a dead mouse in your wall and how it almost makes you not want to spend any time in whatever room that mouse died in you search for it but you can't get to him because he's on the other side of the wall So you just have to wait till he rots away. That don't never happen to you? (laughs) Happens to me. If somebody knows how to get the dead rat out the wall, let me know. There might be a trick I don't know about. Can you imagine just full, frogs everywhere, dead frogs, dead piles of frogs. Outside, we know when we were traveling here from California, I rode the motorcycle and I could always tell when I was coming up close to something dead. Because you can smell it for quite a ways, can't you? So when the Bible said the land stank, woohoo! I bet it stunk good. I can't even imagine big piles of dead frogs? Oh, can't be good, can't be good. But nonetheless, the frogs are all gone, and they're in piles, and the land stinketh. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, what does it say? He hardened his heart. God gives him the opportunity and he makes his choice. His heart is hardened. Again, he hardens his heart. He did not heed him as the Lord had said. So he makes this promise, hey, okay, make the frogs go away and I'll let them go. And the frogs go away and Pharaoh's like, what did I say? I don't remember. That's not exactly what I said. No, I'm sorry. I can't let the people go. You know, get out of my presence. Move. Get out of here. So, the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all of Egypt. And they did so. Listen, no warning. Didn't go back to Pharaoh. Just brought the plague. Twice, he went to Pharaoh... Brought warning. Third time, no warning. Just the plague. And touch the dust of the land so that it may become lice in all the land of Egypt. The god of the earth for Egypt was the god Geb. And here we see the god of the earth becoming lice. Now in Egypt... uh, Herodotus tells us in his histories that the Egyptians were so focused on cleanliness with their priests that they shaved all the hair off their body and they bathed twice, three times a day because a priest could not go into their temple to worship if he had lice anywhere on him. So now the god Geb becomes an abomination to the Egyptians by becoming lice and attaching himself to all The Egyptians. So the Egyptians are covered with lice. They can't worship their false gods. It's another judgment against the deities of Egypt. And it effectively shuts down all worship in the entire nation. Just by the Lord bringing the lice. And so the lice are going to come. And it says in verse... Uh, Verse 16, so that it may be lice throughout the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth. And it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantment to bring forth lice. Way to go, fellas. But they could not you realize that Satan is not the opposite of God? And it doesn't take very long for Satan to run out of power, to run out of ability. Uh, He may be able to do certain things, but folks, do you realize that signs and wonders never prove truth? They just prove supernatural. Doesn't the Bible tell us that that Satan, if possible, would deceive even the very elect with lying signs and wonders? Don't Don't we hear people all the time clamoring for, if I could just see a sign, if I could just see a sign. Folks, if miracles changed people's hearts, the children of Israel would have been good to go, wouldn't they? I mean, consider Kadesh Barnea. Remember, they sent out the spies. While they're arguing about whether or not God would be with them, what was over top of the people? The cloud, the Shekinah glory of God over the top? And what was with them in in the evening to provide light and warmth? pillar of fire? When they were thirsty? The book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, A rock followed them, and that rock was Christ. And living water would pour forth out of that rock and the people would have water when they were hungry what did they have manna bread from heaven bread from heaven there for them to eat if miracles changed people wouldn't that have changed them i mean they saw god all the time they knew his they knew when god moved right the shekinah glory the cloud moved What do we do when the shade moves? We're out at the park. Pick up my chair and I move it over to the shade again. That's how the Lord was able to guide the children of Israel throughout the wilderness. Miracles don't prove truth. They don't prove truth. It is the Word. The truth of the Word. What do we see Pharaoh doing? We see Pharaoh lying. We see Pharaoh following his father. The devil, who was a a liar from the beginning and a murderer from the beginning. Isn't that what Jesus declared to us when we study the Gospel of John? The Pharisees, who were they following? Their father, the devil. Why? Because they were doing the works of their father, weren't they? Speaking lies, talking about murder, trying to kill the Mashiach, the Messiah. So we see that miracles don't prove truth and here we have these magicians they they finally come to one that they can't do have you ever had lice oh you don't have to raise your hand (laughs) the folks sitting next to you might move but i always tell this story when i get to lice at one time in my life kathy got a picture somewhere i had real long hair real long hair so, I, in fact, I got out of the Marine Corps, and I figured the Marine Corps told me how long my hair could be for all the time I was in, so I just wasn't going to cut it no more. And I grew it, I think, for two and a half years. Not a razor touched my head. It got pretty long. And I'm in the kitchen one day in Desert Hot Springs, and the gathering the kids together, and Kathy says, Why don't you cut the boy's head? Now, the boys were just starting school. So, JC is in school, and, and Cole hadn't quite started yet, but you know, he's right wherever JC is, and they're that age close together. And so, I get JC on a stool, and I start shaving. Now, I got my hair, it's not in a ponytail, it's just hanging loose, you know. And I'm, and I'm mowing through his head, and I start looking. Well that looked like something was jumping off of his head. Nah, brr. You know his cut hairs floating all over in the air in the kitchen. Yeah, he had lice. They were they were hopping to get somewhere else. You never guess where they were hopping to. That crazy hippie with that long old hair hanging down on uh, right next to JC. So you should have seen me go crazy. Ah! I leave J.C. with a reverse mohawk. He just cut down the middle. But I'm like, hey, you're on your own, kid. Cut your own hair. And uh, I run down to to Walmart and and I buy a thing of RID to get rid of the lice. Now, I hear there's other way to do it. What is it, kerosene and the match? Yeah, that'll do it. Cutting it would have done, too. So I go get this RID, which basically, as far as I could tell, is rubbing alcohol and a real little comb. And they charge you a lot of money. For, I, if I knew that, I had rubbing alcohol under the sink and combs all over the place. But nonetheless, I get RID, and I pour rubbing alcohol on my head. Oh, man. But that Of oh, the things we go through, you know, that's just dumb. Now look at it. I might as well save myself all the hassle, just cut it all off right then, right? Well, keep in mind now, you're talking about a people, a million million and a half Egyptians, covered head to toe in lice. Everywhere. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to itch. You're going to be scratching your head. That's all there is to do. Look what happens. The magician couldn't do it. So there was lice on man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. Pharaoh's heart stays hard. He stays closed. He doesn't want to hear, doesn't want to know, doesn't want to change. He just wants to stay in the dark. Just wants to stay in his own people. This is God. This is God. The finger of God. We couldn't do it. We couldn't make lice. (laughs) Whatever. Those guys are knuckleheads. So, the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. And say to him, thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies. And you notice in your Bible... That the word swarms is normal type, but of flies is in italics. That is because of flies is not there. It is the, the guys that, that transcribed the Bible for us, translated the Bible. They put that in there. Anytime you see italics, it's not in the original text. They're just trying to give clarification. The Bible says that the Lord sent swarms swarms of insects swarms of dung beetles possibly a lot of people think that this would be swarms of the scarabs have you ever seen the scarabs i went i went in 29 palms i went outside one day there was all these people standing in a circle so i went out there to see what they were all standing in a circle about and they were standing in a circle around the biggest beetle i ever seen with horns It looked like something out of the book of Revelation. (laughs) Setting on the ground. And we're all checking it out. It flew. Yeah. If you ride a motorcycle, that that could strike terror straight into your heart. (laughs) That's a big bug. That's a big bug flying around. So maybe it was those. Maybe it was those. Maybe swarms of all types of insects. But what the Bible tells us is it was a swarm. Swarm. Uh, and it says, I will send swarms on you and your servants, on your people, into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of the swarm and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. First plague where God makes a distinction. He sets apart the land of Goshen. The land of Goshens in Egypt. That's where the children of Israel live. So up until this point, everyone was affected. But now, at this point, the children of Israel won't be affected. He sets apart the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen won't have any of the swarms. So he says, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell so that no swarm shall be there. In order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land, I will make a difference, a distinction between my people and your people. Tomorrow this, sh- this sign shall be. Now we take a look at this. Fourth plague, the swarms. This would be the time in which God judged Ammon-Ra. Amun Ra was the creator god, the creator god of the Egyptians, and he had a head like an insect, like a beetle, and this was a, one of the gods that they served. And so, the Lord's going to send them swarms of insects. Oh, that's just not good. So the Lord did so, thick swarms came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. Go sacrifice to your God in the land, he's saying, in the land of Egypt. Okay, okay, you can sacrifice to God. Here, get, just, just to get rid of the swarms. Get rid of them. So, we see Pharaoh still trying to manipulate, still trying to work. Is he he sincerely, we ever see Pharaoh sincerely seeking the Lord, wanting to change his ways, wanting to step out of the darkness into the light, wanting to say, hey, this is not really what my heart is all about. We never see it. Pharaoh loved the darkness. Oh, by the way, Pharaoh's a god too, isn't he? Who am I that I should... Listen to the Lord God of the Hebrews. Who is He? So Moses said, It's not right for to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We'll go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, just as He has commanded us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Still see Pharaoh trying to work it. Still see Pharaoh trying to make things happen. Now keep in mind, why? Why would Pharaoh care? 2.5 million people, his primary workforce. What's How's anything going to get done in Egypt? You know, the day when he lets them all go into the wilderness, that's, that's a big step for, for Pharaoh, and he's trying to hold on to him. He's trying to keep him. He's trying to keep him with him. So Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh and his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore. In not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, Pharaoh already lied once, right? How many times you got to lie before you're a liar? One time, right? One time. Just shows the heart of man, doesn't it? For God said, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? The heart is is deceitful. And here we see the same attitude with Pharaoh. So, Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did, according to the word of Moses, He removed the swarms from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But who hardened his heart? Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. So you see... When we're studying through, as we're going through the book of Exodus, realize hey, somewhere in Pharaoh's decisions that he was making with the Lord, he made the last choice and God turned him over. He turned him over to that abased mind to do the things not fitting. Now, the Lord said, what does God do when somebody chooses that? Can he bring good? He's going to show all the children of Israel that he is indeed God mighty to save, isn't he? He's going to show the Egyptians that he is indeed God mighty and able to save. That he is the one true God, that the God of the Nile can't measure up. that, That all the gods in the pantheon of gods that they worship, they had no power in comparison to the Most High God. But the other thing that we have to realize when we look at Pharaoh... Pharaoh had made his choice. He's set. He has rejected. He has made his choice. And so Pharaoh, perhaps even right now, maybe way back at the first plague, Pharaoh's resolve is set. Pharaoh's choice is made. And God has confirmed his choice. He had his opportunity. He's gone. But God's still going to reach out to all the people of Egypt. He's going to show them all his wonders. They're going to have the same choice as Pharaoh, won't they? They're going to have the same choice. Just as we have that same choice. The warning for us. Well, if we reject, we can harden our heart too, can't we? And our heart could be confirmed. And God could say, yeah, that was it. That was the last time I was going to ask. That's the last opportunity. I opened the door, and you've closed it. Do we want to be sober-minded when we consider those things? We want to be sober-minded when we consider that, wow, the, the person whom we pray to is the God of all the universe? That... He set the universe with the span of his hand. You ever seen how big the universe is? That's a big God, right? Big God, powerful God, worthy God, holy God, just God, and a God full of grace and mercy. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to open up the book of Exodus and to go through, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would just help us to see, God, how you reach out, Father, how you, you are judging the gods of the Egyptians. You're showing them the truth as apart from the lie, and those who love the darkness will reject. And those who would love the light, they'll step into the light. Lord, it's our prayer as we seek to go forward in our world, which is in bondage just as the people of Moses were. Father, may we in that, in that same spirit, in that same attitude, Father, be willing to speak the Word of God, that those who are willing to step out of the darkness and into the light, that we could perhaps be the tool that is used to, to bring that to fruition. And that we wouldn't be disappointed or, or upset or irritated. But simply willing to share. For those who love the darkness are going to love the darkness. We just want to share the truth. And those who will come to the truth, ah, the truth will set them free. And they will be free indeed. So, Lord, we just pray, God, that we indeed may be able to affect our community, those, our friends, family, neighbors, those whom we love with the truth of your word, Father and God, that you would bring forth that great and mighty harvest. We seek to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close.